I would also really love to go into my sermon now, but we've got something really, you know, we've got something really special that we want to, uh, I don't want to say so much. Why don't we invite to the stage Declan and Diddy? Where's Declan and Diddy? They've got a story to tell. They've got a story to tell. I'm really excited about what they have to say. Declan and that's Didi. They will tell you who they are. But um, when they say, he, he has said to me many times that he's shivering. All right, he's got like this stage thing going on and Didi as well. So whatever they say, amen it. Whatever they say, cheer them on. Is that okay? Come Declan. Hello, hello. Uh, hi everyone, uh, my name is Declan, so I'm 20 years old this year. I attend campus and I'm also a CG leader in youth. Uh, yeah. uh, back in February this year, I was given the opportunity to serve in the worship team alongside the young adults team for one camp. And I really love serving with the young adults because they were so friendly and accepting of me. So if you all didn't know, I'm actually a drummer. And uh, so as a drummer, I tend to be quite critical on myself when it came to worship because I wanted my performance to be good so that after worship, we could have a smooth debrief with like good feedback on worship. But after camp, I realized that worship is so much more than a good debrief, but it's an act of service that is personal between myself and God. And God sees our hearts and how we truly desire for Him that we will pour out our time and effort on worship, regardless if it's good or bad, because we truly love Him. And I found that this also applies to my daily life, that uh, I understand that I don't have to be perfect in whatever I do, but I just have to show God that I love Him and show others that He loves them too. And aside from worship, another thing that Pastor Isaac shared in one camp that really stood out to me was God's calling for us. Uh, God didn't call me to be the best drummer, but rather to be someone who is completely humble and gentle, and patient, bearing with one another in love, as said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. God also didn't call us to be famous influencers, but to be someone who builds up other people in Christ, as mentioned in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. And I've learned through being a leader and mentor that it definitely isn't something that's easy, but it's necessary for the kingdom of God. And that was what Jesus came to earth to do. Uh, lastly, in the past, I used to think that the more I serve, the closer I could be to God. And despite many years of serving in church, I would sometimes feel a bit empty and disappointed because I felt like I wasn't feeling enough of God's love. And during one of the sessions in camp, uh, Pastor Miranda was sharing about our identity in Christ. And I realized that I had always labeled myself as a servant, but God actually sees me as a son and God loves me as his child. I know now that... I know now that God's love is truly undeserved with no limit and there are people out there who need to experience it. So I will wholeheartedly continue to serve God and pray that He will use my generation for the advancement of His kingdom. Thank you. Woo! Woo! That's the sermon right there. Alright, so good. Thank you so much, Declan. Didi, come. Hi church, um, I'm Didi. I'm 24 Woo! this year. Um, so growing up, I've often wished I could wear sleeveless tops, backless tops, just like every other girl out there. Um, I used to think to myself, if one day I don't have any of this eczema on my skin, I would feel so much more beautiful. So in mid-April of this year, my eczema actually spread all throughout my body, far worse than I've ever experienced. 
And you cannot believe this, but it couldn't have been a better timing because it was only two weeks away from camp and my skin was still nowhere recovering. Um, I think there's a picture somewhere showing that um, these red splotches around my neck, but you can see it's only on my neck and it's only in that redness, uh, but in actual, it's covering all of my chest, my back, my thigh, and it was really angry, really red. It really doesn't does a, do a justice in a picture, but um, eventually, whenever I scratch these red spots, it will become to like skin lesions. Plasma will be oozing out from the skin surface. Um, I would felt I'll feel very uncomfortable, and very insecure. Um, because anywhere I was clothed, I, was have, I had all these lesions covering my skin. And I remember dragging myself to attend prayer meetings, reminding my Scott, myself that God is still my healer. Even though at times I was very frustrated at myself and at God, I was still trying my best to be thankful for God. And just to be very candid, I have thrown my face at God. I think it's very okay to express, God, I feel so frustrated. I feel so discouraged. I feel that I cannot see you recovering. Uh, I cannot see my skin recovering anymore. And it brought me to a state where I lost a lot of confidence in God. Um, but I thank God that God made camp my wrestling ground with Him. Because I remember on my first night, I couldn't comfortably lift up my hands to, to worship because the, the lesions would cover my chest and my underarm region. It would be as if you're stretching a, a wound that just healed. I feared the new plasma oozing from my skin, but anyway, I beat through the pain. I stretched my hand out, and this was my posture for worshipping throughout all the worship sessions. And for the first time, I realized, wow, when we worship, we actually need to carry such real desperation and hunger for God. It was my first time I, I realized to believe in healing, you need to really ask and seek God for, for it. On the final night, there was an altar call to repentance. In many ways, we've actually treated God with contempt. And honestly, it was a very tough response for many of us. After asking the Holy Spirit what I should repent on, um, the Holy Spirit just brought me through a very brief vision, reminding me of the moments where I mentioned Jesus heals. But at the heart of saying those words, God showed me that I actually carried doubts and disappointment towards Him. Then I knew I actually committed a grave sin in that I doubted God's character. I equated Him to something less than who He is and what He can do. I just want to take this opportunity to honour all the leaders and pastors who have created this space and led us in this direction. I can't speak for everyone, but I do believe that it's only through the holy fear of God that can deliver a generation surrounded by so much temptation, lies, and discouragement. Yeah. I can't explain it, but when I woke up the next morning to pack up and leave the campsite, I, I quickly jumped into the shower and I noticed as I was showering for the very first time, the wounds have closed up and tap water no longer stings my skin anymore. <laughs> So I stand here today um, testifying because it's an act of declaration that God has healed me, that my healing is complete in the name of Jesus. 
I used to let my skin to define beauty, but God has called me beautiful because I am His creation. And I hope this brings encouragement to anyone who struggles with um, body image or self-esteem. Thank you. Shall we pray for them? Let's stretch our hands to pray for Declan and Didi. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father God, for both these absolutely warriors for you, Father God. They're warriors and they're army for you, Father God. I just want to thank you for Declan's heart. He's such an amazing narrow street leader. I just want to thank you that he's going to be an amazing mentor, an amazing leader, and of course, an amazing drummer for you. And I know, Father God, that his best life is ahead of him. And I know that you will use him so powerfully in your kingdom to just reach out and just impact so many youth's lives, Lord Jesus, from his testimony alone. I just want to thank you for Didi, Lord Jesus Christ, that she's been through so much but she has came to this point, Father God, in absolute surrender and repentance, Father God. She's come through absolute healing in you. So we thank you, Father God, that you will use her story in order to impact so many girls out there, Father God, that suffers from image problems or self-esteem problems or, or even uh, all of us out here that maybe doubt whether you can heal us, Father God. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that she is a walking standing testimony for you. So we thank you for both their lives as they represent youth, campus, and young adults together. Lord Jesus, they are, we are and they are an army and warriors for Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much, guys. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much. <clears throat> I felt like that could be the sermon in itself. Um, they're so good, and uh, there's so many stories to tell, but uh, we can only take two, but who knows? Maybe the next time we'll have another two more. Uh, uh, um, and uh, there's so many stories, so one by one, we will get to hear it all. And I hope, I hope it has been an encouragement for you. I hope it, you know, it really enlightens our hearts and excites our heart that God is still moving in 2023. He will never stop moving and He will never stop reaching out to every generation. And He will always continue to change our lives. Amen? Amen. So good. I can see Declan's cell there. They came all to support him. You know, they really love him so much. Uh, and Declan's family there as well. Okay. Anyways, let's go into the Word of God, shall we? It's going to be about mulberries today. How many of you today, you have no idea what a mulberry is? You have no clue. No clue. Zero idea. Okay, there's some of us here. Don't worry. That's okay. <laughs> you? No, I don't want some mulberries. It's okay. Pastor Lee you should know. 100% guarantee you she knows uh, what a mulberry is. Don't worry. I had no idea what a mulberry is as well until I went to my uh, honeymoon with Kim uh, uh, in New Zealand. And then she, she stumbled across some, some little funny fruit. And then she says, ooh, mulberries. And I'm like, ooh, blackcurrant. Right? No? Don't you think that's a black curtain? No. She says, it's mulberries. I'm like, okay. Good to know. Um, I learn something new every day. I'm looking for my, 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 my verse. Do you know why I'm looking? This is not my Bible. All right, so maybe I should declare it in service one. Three weeks ago, when Pastor Kim and Pastor Jeremy preached on lost and found, ironically, I lost my Bible. <laughs> I, I did a Bible study, and then after that, I don't, know, I don't know where the Bible went. It vanished. Some say it raptured. <clears throat> because it was a holy Bible. <laughs> uh, and also, I don't know where it went. I've been looking for it ever since. Can't find it. But that Bible has a special significance for me, specifically because that Bible is the first Bible that I specifically got as when I became staff of SIVKL. So that Bible always reminds me of my first day work in SIVKL. It looks something like this, but not the same. 
Same, same, but not the same, all right? <laughs> Something like this. So thank you so much, uh, Emmanuel, for, for allowing me to use uh, this one temporarily. Okay, my, my sermon title today is, anyway, if you find my Bible, there's going to be a reward for you. Please come and see me. That's the point. That's why I told that story. Please come and see me. Your reward is waiting for you in heaven. But please come and see me. <laughs> please come and see me for my Bible. I would appreciate it very much. Is that okay? Um, the sermon I have today is uh, Mal on Mulberries. Um, and if you don't know what Mal means, Mal means to digest slowly. means to, uh, to just take your time to, to, to digest. Because whatever, we're gonna, whatever Luke has in store for us today will take time to digest. Because even if you grasp it now, you're going to have to grasp it tomorrow and the next week and again and again and again. So you got to the mull on the mulberries. Is that okay? Okay, so let's read scripture. Just Luke 17, just 10 verses, and then I want to go into it. Amen? There we go. Can we read? It's on the side now as well. All right. So I understand at the back, if you sit right under the balcony, the top part is chopped off. Don't worry. Next week, we'll come a little lower for you, okay? So just bear with us a little bit, uh, but you can read scripture. Let's go together. One, two, three. Jesus said... So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day, and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. The apostle said to the Lord, Increase our faith. He replied, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant, when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Amen. You know, that last part is a little confusing. So it's a whole Marbury story. What does servants plowing the field have got to do with the Marbury story? But before I continue, maybe I explain that last part a little bit about what he's saying, and then later on, I'll expound on Scripture. The last part is, so uh, it says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to the Marbury tree, be uprooted, be planted into the sea, and it will obey you. Then he went on to say, there's a master that owns a field. And then he comes home, to the field, and then he, he, he passes his servant, and he, does he say to his servant, come, come, join me and eat? Or does he say to his servant, why don't you continue to finish the work that you are hired to do? Then make me dinner. When I finish my dinner, then you eat your dinner, which is more likely as a master to a servant. Obviously, the second one, because the servant is told what to do. But does the servant then say, thank you for letting me eat? No. He doesn't need any thanks. Oh, sorry. Does the master then say to the servant, thank you for doing your work? No. He doesn't need any thanks because that's what you were hired to do. 
So then the servant says, we are unworthy servants. We are only told, we'll only do what we are told to do. Now, what does that last part about servants and masters being told what to do have got to do with mulberries and faith? And today we want to learn a little bit about it. Is that okay? But just in case you don't know what a mulberry is, just in case, this is a mulberry. All right? This is a mulberry uh, 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 right there. I think this is a black one. Apparently there's a red one. And then, um, if you like silk, there is a white one. So if you wonder where silk comes from, it came from the silk worms which chew on the leaves of mulberry trees. Is that okay? Alright? So uh, you wear the product of mulberries, but you're not aware that this is a mulberry tree. So that's a mulberry. Um, and the reason why I show you this picture and ask you to mull on mulberries is because in Jewish tradition, or in Jewish folklore, there is always a saying um, that uh, when, when the mulberry trees in Israel came to fruition, the, sister, the season is ripe for the mulberries to be ripened, and the taste is sweet and sour in Israel. But Malaysian mulberries, I heard, is just sour. I said, okay, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I've not tried Malaysian mulberries or Israel mulberries, to be honest with you. Um, but I say it's really sweet and sour at the same time, very tangy. So the children would run out to the wild mulberry trees and they would climb up the trees, they would sit on the, uh, on the bark and they would pluck mulberries and start eating the mulberries. And according to Jewish folklore, they would stay there for hours and hours because it's so nice to eat and they would you know, spend time plucking the mulberries and eating on the trees. That's why I call my sermon Mal on the mulberries because you're going to have to take a while to eat on all the mulberries that God wants to serve this morning. But then the mothers would always turn to the, the, the children and say, when you eat your mulberries, take off all your clothes. <laughs> Don't let your imagination run wild, all right? It's just a saying, all right? But there, there's a reason why. Because uh, the saying goes that a mulberry stain can only be removed by scissors. All right? It's okay if you get it. So all the girls in the house are like, yes, we get it. All the men is like, what do you mean? What do you mean? It means that you cannot wash a mulberry stain off. Apparently. All right? I don't know. I really wouldn't. I'm, I'm one of the guys that I had to Google this. I didn't know this. But a mulberry stain is one of the stains in the world that cannot be washed off with anything in the world. I don't know. Maybe Clorox even can't. So you've got to wash it off with the scissors. Which means you've got you to snip snip. Is that okay? Cut it off. Um, so um, what does that got to do with my sermon? I thought I'd just give you some Jewish knowledge. That's about it. That's the truth. Now I want to go into the sermon. First one, Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble, or in other translation, things, temptations to sin is normal. But woe to those to whom temptations to sin comes from. In the NIV, it says it this way, things that causes people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone to whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones, little ones being Christians, little ones being, it could be young Christians, new Christians, but Christians in general, to stumble. So watch yourselves. If your brother and sister sins against you, rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them. Just in case we don't know what a millstone is, because I don't, nobody uses millstones anymore. This is a millstone. Is that okay? So you use this huge slab of stone to grind wheat, barley, I don't know, whatever it may be, mustard seeds maybe to grind something. So God is actually saying that if you cause somebody else to sin or you cause somebody else to stumble, it is better 
to tie a millstone around your neck and for you to drown in the sea. Or in other words, in shorter language, it's better for you to perish. And that's very harsh words. That's very stern words. Because we've got to watch ourselves. Because the biblical truth is biblical truth. Let's not sugarcoat around it. Let's not try to re-explain or mansplain what the Bible is trying to say. But we just, is it as it is. If we, as Christians, cause somebody else to stumble, we will perish. Now, what does cause somebody else to stumble mean? What does it mean? I want to go, I want to, I want to say it this way. All of us attempted to sin, yes? Yes. All of us stumble in sin, yes? Yes. But... Have we ever noticed whether we are the perpetrators to somebody else's sin? Have you, ever, have you ever asked yourself? Watch our own attitude. Like sometimes we as Christians, we unknowingly do it. Like when A and B, Adam and Eve, all right, they're gossiping about, I don't know, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, all right? They're gossiping about these three guys, all right? It's like these three guys, you know, so patriarchal, so, you know, uh, so chauvinistic, always looking down at women, blah, 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 blah. And long before I know it, we as Christians, we jump in, and instead of saying that, hey, you know, let's pray for our brothers and sisters, we jump into the bandwagon and we say, Exactly, I knew it. I knew it. I knew this Abraham was like that. I knew this Abraham was going to treat me like this. You know, before I even work in this workplace, I knew, I heard about Abraham and I knew. And long before now, Abraham and Eve becomes Abraham and Eve and you. And then Abraham, Eve, you and your friend. And then Abraham, and then it becomes a church. And that's, no, that's not how churches are born. <laughs> right? And my point here today is, one, are you keeping watch over yourself? over the things that you do, whether it causes somebody to sin or not. I'm going to spitball some examples and then I want to move on quick. Do we encourage people to come to church? Or when people say, oh, you know what, I'm, I'm lazy. I don't want to come to church this weekend. You know, I've got so many things to do. And we go, yala, don't they come to church? It's okay. La. Do we say, you know what, I'm going to read my Bible because my Bible reading plan, it's already almost the end of June and I'm supposed to be 25% through my Bible because we're supposed to finish it in two years. Remember? Remember, church? The answer is yes. You, you are supposed to nod your head at this point. Okay, it's good, good. It's like 50%. We're nodding our heads, right? So in, when we're reading our Bibles and then, you know, there's a group of us saying, you know what, I don't understand what's the point of this Bible reading plan. It's so long. It's so tedious. I've got to read it by myself. I don't know, lazy to do that. I don't want to do that. And we go, yeah, actually, uh, yeah, me also are uh, lazy to do that, so don't want to do that. Let's not do that. Hey, guys, let's not do that. Let's go and do something else. If you fall under those categories, then could it be, could it be that we have not watched ourselves because we are causing other people to sin. We are causing other people to fall into the temptation of sin. And I think Jesus is earmarking this as very important because sin, you know, there's, there's a commentary that says that this whole portion of Scripture is talking about the seriousness of sin. That sometimes in the 23rd century, we don't understand how serious sin is anymore. Because number one, either the church downplays sin by upplaying everything's got to do with grace, everything's got to do with His mercy and the cross, therefore sin is nothing, or we just forget that part of the Bible because we're no longer under the laws of sin. But then this portion of Scripture that is said by Jesus always reminds us that sin and the wages of sin is death and we cannot overlook it even though 
the cross has paid for it. Even though the grace of God has covered it, even though the mercies of God has propitiated it, does not mean we do not take it seriously. You know, in, in a, you know, there is going to be a move, or at least already a move in this world, where the world will continue to be more partisan, which means more divided, that the right and the left will stop talking, or the black and the white will stop talking. No, I do not. I'm not talking about race. I'm just talking about colors. <laughs> or, uh, you know, uh, 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 whatever it may be, there's going to be a division that, that will come into this world, or there's going to be an offense that will come into this world. That everything you're offended by, you know, I, I, last year I, I, I wrote a semi-short sermon about the spirit of offense. And everything, don't you realize, everything you're offended by, you read something fake. You're still offended by the fake news because you're offended by the person who wrote the fake news. And then you're offended by the person who sent you the fake news. And then, or you believe the fake news and then you're also offended because now you believe in the fake news and then everything around you is, you know, a, probably a conspiracy theory or whatever it may be, you're offended. Or sometimes somebody can say something uh, and you're offended. And I realize now these days the world takes offense to everything and everything becomes so sensitive that the pulpit becomes a propaganda for preaching sensitive issues. We can't talk about race anymore. We can't talk about politics anymore. We can't talk about gender anymore. We can't talk about sexuality anymore. We can't even tell you that sin is sin. This is it. Like, adultery is sin, for example. Full stop, right? It's so sensitive to people now because we're so afraid that everybody gets offended, everybody gets hurt. And then we go, number one, are you keeping watch over yourself? Because let me, let me go back to Scripture. I have a point that. Because if your brother or sister sins against you, if your brother or sister take offense against you, if your brother or sister is hurt by you, and rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them. Forgiveness is the main crux of this uh, whole passage. Forgiveness. Number one. So much my time. Are you keeping watch over yourself? That if the offense of the world were to come, it will not come through you. If the hurts of the world would come, it will not come through you. And I think, I have a strange suspicion that even if, say, a thousand of us here, if a thousand of us here were to watch ourselves so closely, that the offense of the world will not come through us. The unforgiveness of the world will not come through us. The hurts of the world will not come through us. I truly believe somehow there's going to be a reform and a change in this service. That something special is going to happen here because freedom of speech, freedom of forgiveness, freedom of love can flow. Because like it or not, I think sometimes we're just holding up a grudge and holding up an anger or a hurt against one another. That's number one. Are you keeping watch over yourself? More importantly, let's move to number two. And what has it got to do with forgiveness? Point number two. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. He replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Let me pause here for a while. How many of you, how many of us, or at least I know I have, know somebody 
that cannot stop repeating the same thing again and again. I've told you 50 times not to do it, and you're still doing the same thing. And it's not my three-year-old son. There is a zero behind the three. You're 30 years old. You still cannot stop doing that, that little thing, right? And this is even worse. In one day, they offended you seven times. And in seven times, going back to you, say, hey, sorry, sorry, sorry. And then God says, you have to forgive. How many of us can? I guarantee you, I tell you what, I can't. You know why I know I can't? Because I have a three-year-old son. That's why I know I can't. I don't even need a 35-year-old man who commit this sin. I just need a three-year-old son. That's all. He comes to me, he does something. I says, no, don't, no, don't do it. But does he listen? No. Don't know why. Um, must have gotten it from his mother. No, no, me, me, me. <laughs> must have gotten it from me. That's what she'll say. Probably true anyways. He'll do it again. And then I says, son, don't do it. Daddy's talking to you very nicely. Nicely. Don't, please don't push me. All right. And he said, okay. And then he'll do it again. For the third time. I tell you, the third time, me being me, my blood just went zero degrees to a hundred degrees, all right? There is an implosion within me that is just in a split second. I don't know, that's just me. It's like, I, told, I told you not to do it. Do you want daddy to shout at you? And he says, no, 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 no. And he, then he'll do it the fourth time. I'm like, okay, you're really testing my patience. It's either you, the Holy Spirit, or something's wrong here. But I know at the fourth time in a single day, I will lose my patience. How many of you will be able to say, I will forgive you seven times? None. Seven times, all right? Now, if you are not married in this house, you will most likely say, I will try. If you are married in this house, all right, if you can forgive your spouse or your love or whatever it is, that repeats the same mistake seven times a day, come and speak to me. How did you do it? Come and speak to me. How did you do it? Or more like, speak to my wife, all right? I offend her seven times a day and I bless the soul if she can forgive me seven times a day. But God says, you're going to have to. When he repents, forgive. Now, the interesting part here is when the disciple says, increase our faith, Jesus. So what, is this, what are the disciples saying? They're equating forgiveness to the increase of faith. To say, I forgive you once, good faith. I forgive you twice, better faith. I forgive you three times, best faith. I forgive you four, five, six, seven times. God, I cannot go seven. Increase my faith. And then a lot of people always say, Jesus gives them a uh, 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 shows them how to do it. But in my opinion, Jesus rebuked them. This is a rebuke from Jesus, verse 6. The rebuke goes this way. In my words, all right? The new Isaac version, all right? My words, all right? Disciples, what are you talking about? What do you mean by you need more faith? If you already have faith as small as a mustard seed, which you, you, you should, right? You do, right? You do have that faith as small as a mustard seed, right? Disciples, the only, there's only one correct answer, which is yes, yes, we do, we do. We do have faith. We know they have faith because they left everything to follow Jesus. You must have faith to leave everything to follow Jesus. Hence why I know everybody here have faith as small as a mustard seed. Then Jesus went to say, if you already have that faith as small as a mustard seed, you will say to the mulberry tree, be uprooted, planted, and go into the sea, and the mulberry tree will obey you hands, therefore, you do not need more faith. That's how I read it. 
And that's how I see it. Now, in Jewish tradition, now why mulberry tree? He could have said, if you have made as small as a mustard seed, then you can throw the mustard tree into it. Why mulberry tree? Because in Jewish tradition, a mulberry tree's roots will grow deep and will grow wide. All right? I was going deep and wide. No. It will grow deep and it will grow wide. And that's a mulberry tree. All right? So, as opposed to every other tree, which I don't know, like I'm not a, I'm not, I'm not a, you know, a geologist. Is it a geologist or herbologist? Bot botanist, thank you, thank you, thank you guys. Um, I'm not a botanist, so I wouldn't know. I don't know how deep an oak tree's roots are or a fig tree's roots are. I don't know. All I know is that a mulberry tree's root go deep and grow wide. And the contrast here is a small seed to a very big tree that is planted. And Jesus says, you already have the faith. Now, why mulberry tree? You see... If you cannot forgive the third time or the fourth time, seventh time, if you cannot forgive for whatever the reason it may be, and I know it is going to be a very difficult reason most likely, the roots of the mulberry tree representing unforgiveness in your life will grow deep and will grow wide and will take root and it will take hold over your life. And that's about it. And how many of us here have allowed a hurt, an offense, or a misinterpretation, a miscommunication, something very small to just take root in our lives and allow it to fester because we just cannot let it go. And then God says, you can. It does not require more faith because you already have the faith to do it. And then this is the point in my own scriptural reflection where I go, but Jesus, Holy Spirit, I also don't have, I mean, I'm also human, right? It's, it's hard for me. What am I going to tell the church? It's hard for me. You know, I can't, I, I, I believe in one thing in my life. I don't preach something I don't walk. I don't, I don't walk something I don't, wait, hold on. How does it go? I'm recovering from my cough. Um, I don't preach something I don't walk. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct, right? Okay, thank you, thank you. Uh, I don't preach something I don't walk. So I struggle with this. I, I tell you, I struggle with this for two weeks. I says, God, what does it mean? How am I supposed to say something when I don't know if I can do it? I don't know if I can do it. And then Jesus, in one night, in, you know, whilst, whilst I was in bed because I wasn't feeling so well that week, I was thinking about this. I go, how do I do it? And then Jesus says, I tell you what, why don't you look at your own life and then you look at how much I've done for you. Don't you think you've offended me seven times in a single day? And I go, I have? He says, what? I tell you what, let me name you your sins. And he really did, which I'm not going to tell you, all right? Because I'm perfect. I'm perfect that way. You can keep that perfect image of me um, if you want. But he named all my sins. And then I go, oh my goodness, I didn't realize this offended you. I didn't realize when I said that I was supposed to do this and I didn't offended you. I didn't realize that when I say that, you know, this, 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 and then I didn't, it offended you. I didn't realize that when I did this, offended you. I didn't realize all that. And I go, God, forgive me. And God already says, I already have. I already have. And just in case you think it's seven times, no, you offended me 50 times in a day. And that's why in the Psalms it says, God, forgive my known 
and unknown sins. Because we can sin against God unknowingly in our hearts. Our thoughts can be, you know, something wrong against God. Our thoughts can be, you know, against the character of God, like what the testimony was sharing. That we don't even know offended God's heart. Our thoughts could be, you know, against my wife, against my sons, our thoughts against my pastors in the church, against my leaders in the church, against the members of the church. And those thoughts are offensive towards God because they're not edifying, they're not building, they're not thoughts of love, they're not thoughts of grace, they're not thoughts of mercy. And then God says, now that is an offense. Now that is a sin. But I've already forgiven you. And then I go, Wow just the richness and the fullness of God's mercy over my life. And then God says, if I have forgiven you, how much more should you then forgive everybody that so-called offended you or hurt you or said something mean or nasty towards you? Don't you think you should forgive them as well? Are they not undeserving of your forgiveness? You think you're such a big shot? You think you're so grand to not forgive them? when I have freely forgiven you because of the cross, now I want to say the same thing to service one. What if the offense towards God or the offense towards one another could be a thought, a thought that you tear somebody down, that I don't like the way you look, I don't like the way you talk, I don't like how you talk to me, how you looked at me, I don't like how you parked your car because now I can't open my car door because you parked too close to me, I don't like the way you dressed in church, I don't like the way you set me in this seat in church, I didn't like the way the worship was sung, I didn't like the, the fact that I'm sweating even though it's supposed to be a rainy day and the aircon is not cold enough or the aircon is too cold and you're offended about everything. And then God says, you are going to have to let it go because every day if you keep this in, you're going to be like a mulberry tree where the roots will grow deep and the roots will grow wide. And then you begin to ask yourself, why am I such an angry person? Why am I such an angry person? So that's my alarm. Why am I such an unforgiving person? Why am I such a nasty person? Why can I not stop cussing? How come I can't stop this addiction? How come when I come to worship, there is no breakthrough for me? And then I look around, everybody's crying, right? Except for me, right? There's nothing happening to me in my, my heart. Everybody's lifting their hands in worship. But except me, I go, is there something, is there a reason to lift my hands? I don't know. Why? And then God says, could it be that your mulberry tree has taken over your whole life? And then we say, then God increase my faith. Let me come to church more and pray more so that my faith can help me forgive. And then God says, it's not about faith. So then my question is, will you forgive the same sin committed by the same person, committed seven times in the same day? So the answer is, if you leave this place today and your answer is no, I cannot, then let's have a breakthrough. I look at the clock all the time because I want to end in five minutes. Because I want to allow, and if you don't have to leave early, please don't. I want to allow the Holy Spirit to just move and search our hearts today like He did mine. And says, search for offenses, search for hurts against a loved one, against the church, against another church, against a leader, another leader, against your workplace, your boss, it doesn't matter. Search for hurts and begin to release forgiveness and you will find that you, are, you, you, you will be a joyful person. You'll be a more happy person. You'll be a stress-free person. And you will find that you will be able to lift your hands in worship and worship Him because there's nothing holding you back. Will you a be able to forgive the same sin committed by the same person seven times 
in the same day. And the key lies in the last portion of Scripture. So if it is not to increase my faith, then how then can I do it? It's the question. How then can I do it if I don't need more faith? Because you already gave me a measure of faith. Romans 12, uh, in the book of Romans, uh, my brain's not working so well. In the book of Romans, it says, everybody is given a measure of faith. I believe it's Romans 12, verse 2 and 3. Everybody is given a measure of faith. So I know you already have faith. Therefore, I know you can already forgive. But if we cannot forgive like me, if you cannot forgive, then how do we do it? When I ask, this is the answer. Suppose one of you said a servant plowing, wouldn't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink. After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because, of, because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. What does this got to do with faith? You see, this last portion, the last four verses, has everything to do with following Jesus our obedience. When we have given up everything to follow Him and we say that I am your disciple, Jesus Christ. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Then if He is our Master and Lord and if He is King and we are merely servants, then God is saying, you do what you are told to do and that is obedience. And because you obey, you don't need to God says, oh, thank you very much for obeying. Thank you very much. You did your job very well. Thank you very much. You don't, we don't need recognition from the master because we obeyed, because we are expected to obey. And that's the point here. And what is Jesus trying to tell his disciples? Number one, you do not need more faith. You already have a measure of faith given to you and that measure of faith can tell all the bitterness and all the unforgiveness and all the hurts that you have in your heart. You can tell it and it will be removed into the sea because it will obey that measure of faith that God has given you. But right now, all you need is obedience. Obedience is the key to discipleship. Obedience is the key to following Jesus. And that is why I end with this. Does your act of forgiveness reflect your acts of obedience? When we talk about obedience all the time, we always love to equate obedience. Now, nothing wrong with that. We always love to equate obedience with serving, tithing, obedience with reading the Bible, praying, Good obedience, please continue to do it. But how many times do we equate obedience with forgiveness? It is a command to forgive. Not for God's benefit. He's free from unforgiveness, by the way. For our benefit. So unforgiveness is disobedience. And do we want to follow Christ? Yes, we do. You know, let me tell you a story. Um, you know, I know this family. Um, let me keep the names secret. I know this family, parents and son, in perpetual argument over everything. And it really doesn't matter what. Just perpetual argument. And then one day God said, the problem of this family is forgiveness. I said, oh, yeah, I know, but how? <laughs> how? Nobody can forgive one another, how? He says, the key is obey. 
I said, what do you mean by obey? Forgiveness, you have to want to forgive. You have to feel like forgiving, don't you think, God? You have to feel like forgiveness. Like, I feel like, um, Darren, you, didn't, you hurt me so much just now. You didn't look at me. You're not looking at me now. You know, I, okay, I forgive you because I felt like forgiving him. But God says, no. You go to the person and says, will you forgive me? I forgive you. That's an act of obedience. The feeling comes later. It's like love. I love you. It's out of obedience. Your feeling of love can fade. Your feeling of love can whatever it is, but feeling of love is obedience. That's it. That's another sermon. But forgiveness. It's okay. I tell you what, guys, have a reconciliational party. Let's come together at the dinner table. Let's have dinner and let's one another forgive one another and just do it out of obedience to God because you are followers of Christ. That's it. Full stop. You're Christians. Forgive one another. Just lay down all your sins and why you're angry and don't justify yourself and just forgive. I tell you, the moment the son says, Father, will you forgive me? Couldn't even finish the list. There was just tears of reconciliation in this family. And the son says, no, before this son fought, says, I would never, never, why would I? I don't feel like forgiving. This would be wrong. All the time, two years passed. All right, I will obey God. The moment he uttered those words, will you forgive me? I forgive you. Just tears. The father could even say anything, just tears, just absolute tears, just hugs and tears. Another word could not be said because I believe the presence was thick and there was just hugs and there was just embrace and there was just love that filled the atmosphere. And there was a release of so much years of bitterness. There was a release of so much unforgiveness within the family that after then on, they started to come to church together. They started to worship together for the very first time. Come on. Forgiveness is obedience. You know, from then on, I walked, and when God says, forgive, I no longer ask God, I don't feel like it. I just go, okay. Because now to me, forgiveness is obedience. And I will allow the feelings to come later. But I still feel hurt. I forgive again. I forgive you. And I will always, you will always see me utter in my prayers. Okay, you will never see me utter in my secret prayers. I forgive this person. I forgive this person. And I will say it again and again and again until I realize that my emotions have changed and God has done a new work within me. And I, now I can bless the person. And now I can love the person. And now I want to encourage you to do it. Because I want to bring this whole scripture back full cycle. If you go back to the very beginning, and when God says, do not stumble somebody else in sin. I ask God, what is this stumbling? Because well, as a Christian, there's so many ways I can stumble. And I gave you so many examples in the beginning. All true. But could it be that God is telling the church that the stumbling of sin could be the unforgiveness from one Christian to another? Could it be that's a stumbling block? When somebody looks at us, aren't we supposed to be a group of people that love beyond all measure? because we've been loved so much. We love because He first loved us. We know the Scripture so well. Aren't we supposed to be a group that freely forgive because He has forgiven us so much? And we know the Scripture. Those who freely forgive, God will freely forgive. We know the Scripture so well. Aren't we supposed to be a group that embody who Jesus Christ is? But sometimes we're not. Sometimes we go around carrying this bitterness and anger and hurt one towards the other. And I truly believe today God wants to, I, want to I, I believe God wants to do a work. 
And I want to make a very brave call. I want to ask, Holy Spirit, will you just speak to our hearts today? Because I believe it speaks to every single one of us without exception. It could be a hurt son to a father, a father to a son. It could be a hurt, a leader to a non, a non-leader, a member to a pastor. It could be a hurt, one church to another. It could be a hurt, whatever it may be. It could be a hurt, like I failed in my exams and friends made fun of me and I can never forgive my friends. It could be a hurt and anger. But today, I want you to release it. Not because you feel like it, but because you want to obey the Holy Spirit and He will do a fresh start in you. And He will start to heal that broken wounds. So I want to make a, another brave call. And the altar is open, where I don't, I don't think the pastors will pray for you today. But I want you to come and just stand before Him and ask the Holy Spirit, will you do something within my heart? Especially married couples. And as my wife is not too well. I wish she was here with me because I was supposed to do this with her. She didn't know, don't worry, she doesn't know. But she's not well, so she can't come, so that's okay. But if she was here, I'll grab her hand. And there's a lot of forgiveness that needs to happen. I don't know what, I'll let the Holy Spirit reveal it to me, but I'm sure there is. I was talking to another couple, one more story. I was just talking to another couple, a counselor in this church. He says, hey, this couple, argue for the last seven years. Go and speak to them. Okay, go and speak to them. So what's the problem? How can we solve it? Is it, you know, what happened? Was it anybody cheat? Lost money? What is the normal things now, you know? Nothing. It was because of an unforgiveness that happened so long ago that they couldn't let go. That became a mulberry tree to almost destroying the marriage today. And the moment the both of them just said, I will release that forgiveness for what you did seven years ago. The whole marriage changed, changed trajectory. And now I want to encourage you, it's the same. And there is no shame in this place because nobody knows what you're going through. It could be nothing, it could be everything. But I want you to come forward. And if it is you and your spouse, come with your spouse and just ask, Holy Spirit, is there something that we need to forgive each other? If it is you and your son, come and bring your family together and pray together. If it is just you and your, your loved one is not here, just come on forward and we will let the Holy Spirit minister. Because we're going to sing, come Holy Spirit. And I want the Holy Spirit to minister to your heart. I want you to leave this place changed from the inside out. You know, I believe today is going to be a breakthrough for a lot of us here. So I want to call, if you have, if you have trouble letting go of something that you have held on to for a very long time, I invite you forward. And I believe the Holy Spirit will do something in your life. If you have had a hurt that you cannot let go for a very long time, I invite you forward because I believe the Holy Spirit will do something in your life. If you have a broken family relationship, somewhere, somehow, whether husband, wife, whether husband, son, or father, son, or mother, son, mother, daughter, father, daughter, if you have got a broken relationship, I want you to come on forward. And I want the Holy Spirit to minister to you and deal, do something beautiful in your life. Because sometimes we always believe it is the other person's fault. But the moment you release forgiveness, something will change in your life and therefore something will change in your family. So if you're going through any of that, come on forward. And I believe the Holy Spirit will do something. 
in your life. Hallelujah. We need to just repeat after me and let's just pray. Let's just repeat this prayer. Thank you, Jesus. Father God, help me to obey you in everything, including forgiveness. Father God, you know the things in my heart. But today I release forgiveness. Today I release my hurts. Today I release my bitterness. Today I release my anger and judgment towards them, towards myself. Father God, do a work within me. In the name of Jesus, I have faith as small as a mustard seed. And now I command the mulberry tree of bitterness, of anger, of hurts, of unforgiveness to be gone and to be planted in the sea. I thank you, Jesus, that I'm a new person. I fully release it into your hands. Thank you, Jesus. I can forgive because you have forgiven me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So those who are in front, if you stay back, I believe a pastor here will come and pray for you after the service. But if you don't feel like you need to get somebody to pray for you, it's okay, we can go. But I want to pray for everybody now to release you. In the name of Jesus, we just want to thank you, Father God, for this service. I just want to thank you, God, for everything you are doing. I just want to thank you, God, that this is a new start for so many of us here. I want to pray, Father God, that there is, we're going to see reconciliation in the home. I want to see reconciliation in the hearts. I just want to see something, Lord Jesus Christ, take place. Instead of unforgiveness, let there be forgiveness. Instead of hurts, let there be joy. Instead of anger, let there be peace. So I thank you, God, that you are a good God. Now I pray, Father God, that you separate us now with your face that shines upon us, with your wisdom that you grant us, with your grace that you bestowed upon us, and may you always watch our going in and our going out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. Thank you so much for coming. Have a great week and weekend ahead.